All right, that was awesome. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. So, you know, I said, um, I said just a few minutes ago that, you know, with the skit, um, we're not trying to represent like, you know, all the different characters and not everyone who's going to be in this skit with makeup and on a horse is trying to represent something from the book of Revelation. But there are a few things that we are right. And we, we said the main point right, is who Jesus is and that he's returning and he's victorious. And that's our hope. Um, and some of the others are this. Uh, there's going to be a Satan character in the skit. And, and we're representing that because that's, that, that's a real thing that what the enemy wants to do. What you're going to see the enemy doing in this skit is taking the truth of God's word and perverting it and twisting it. That what he's trying to do is to, to get our allegiance from Christ to really anything else. Really, if the enemy can get our allegiance, our focus, our passion off of Jesus onto anything else, then that, that's his win, right? And so we'll see that played out. But then the other, really, the other characters in the skit that are representing something real and true are uh, the martyrs, are these Christians who are being persecuted, they're being beaten, they're being mocked, they're being tempted because they follow Jesus, because they name Jesus. And ultimately in the skit, they'll be, they'll be martyred, they'll be killed for their faith. And listen, we, man, we don't do that just to be dramatic. Like, we're doing that in the skit because... Man, for 2,000 years, for 2,000 years of people believing in and following Jesus, this has been a reality. Now listen, if you're, if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, if you've been adopted into the family of God, if you call God Father because of the work of Jesus, then listen, your brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters in Christ, people that we'll spend forever with around the throne worshiping Jesus, man, our brothers and sisters have suffered for the gospel have suffered for naming Jesus, for worshiping Jesus, just, just for being Christians, for, for loving Jesus, for getting together with the church and listening to God's word and singing songs to Jesus and, and for going out and telling people about the hope they can have in Jesus, just for being Christians. And so, I mean, that'll be played out in the skit and so what I want to do tonight is look at a passage of scripture in the book of Hebrews that that talks about this because man, I, I think there's so much that we can learn from our brothers and sisters who suffer because this isn't just a 2000 years ago thing. Man, this is happening right now around the world where people just like us, people who love Jesus and want to tell people about Jesus suffer for it. And so say this, uh, you know, the main point, like we've been in the book of Hebrews a lot this week. It's been awesome. The, really, the main theme, the main focus of this letter is that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Better than what? That's right. Everything, right? Jesus is better than everything. He, he's the greatest prophet. He's the greatest priest. He's the king of kings. Like, he is everything. He's better than everything. And then because of that, because of that, you and I should be faithful to the end. We should be faithful to Jesus to the end. That that's what God calls us to, right? A lot of times we put all the emphasis of being a Christian like on the beginning of getting saved. And that's good, like people need to get saved, right? That's huge. But that is just the beginning. In fact, man, a lot of times 
I shouldn't say it that way. Like it, when you read the New Testament, there is just as much, if not more, talked about about finishing faithful, about the way we finish the Christian life, about being faithful to Jesus to the end, till He returns or we take our last breath. No matter what, being faithful to Jesus. And listen, listen. Being faithful to Jesus is a lot more than like just what we don't do. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, there's going to be some things that we don't do because we're Christians, because we follow Jesus, because we want to honor God with our lives. There's going to be a lot of things we don't do. But being faithful is so much more than that. Being faithful to Jesus is really all about what you do, what you do with your life, how you spend your days, the conversations you have. The, the way you invest your time and your money and your energy and the relationships Jesus gives you. What do you do with it for the gospel, for eternity? So look at Hebrews chapter 10. We'll jump into verse 32. He's talking to this church. He's talking to this church of, of believers. And man, right away when they became Christians, they started suffering for the gospel. But man, they were faithful. They're faithful, but now what's starting to happen is, man, they're, they're, that persecution is ramping up. He's saying, man, you guys haven't yet, like, experienced a martyrdom. You haven't, you haven't resisted to the point of blood, but that's, like, what's coming. And so he's preparing them for it. He's saying, you've got to be faithful to the end. You've got to endure. You've got to hold fast your confession. Hold fast your confidence. And so he gives them this awesome reminder that, hey, remember, Jesus has done everything. We're just following him. And he says this, verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, after you became a Christian, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. He says, remember, remember, remember when you got saved? And then right away, like, your family rejected you. Right away, like... Everyone that you worked with or for rejected you and made fun of you and, and, and began to like persecute you. Not just make fun of you, but be violent against you. Remember that? Remember how hard that was? But you were faithful. You endured. Like you, you accepted that because you were following Jesus. Not even that, that it happened to you, but it happened to other people. Listen, verse 34. For you had compassion on those in prison. He's saying, man, not only like did you identify with Jesus? And so you started to share in the, the sufferings that Jesus experienced. But you even identified with other brothers and sisters in Christ when they were persecuted. Meaning like you guys were opening yourself. Like these people were thrown in prison for Jesus. And you said we stand with them. You were willing to go to prison for Jesus. You were willing to suffer being separated from family. Because of the name of Jesus. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully, joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Seems like what was happening here is, I mean, they're just being Christians, right? Like, these people have gotten saved. They met Jesus. They've been rescued from sin and death and hell. And, man, they can't help it. They're just Christians. And so what are they doing? They're telling people. They're telling people about the only hope, the only way to be forgiven, the only way to escape the wrath of God and have the promise of heaven. And so they're doing what's natural. They're telling other people and they're suffering for it. 
to the point where it seems like what's happening is that the government is even stepping in and, and taking their property, land, home, all their possessions. And they've got nothing. They've got nothing left that this world has to offer. And it's crazy. It says, you accepted it joyfully. Joyfully. <laughs> How? How? How do they endure? How do they stay faithful to Jesus? How do they endure suffering and persecution with joy? I say again, because this isn't just like a 2,000 year old thing, right? Like, this is happening now. Um, I'll tell you a story. I recently um, listened to a book. It's called The Insanity of God. And man, it, it rocked my world. Like, it just, it's, it's messing with me. I listened to this book. And, and here's the premise is there's this pastor from Kentucky and he uh, goes overseas. He's, he goes to Somalia to be a missionary, him and his wife and his boys. And they go over there because, man, it's a war-torn country. And, and, and man, there's this constant, like, infighting between tribes. And they don't have food. They don't have water. They don't have medical care. And they're just killing each other. And they're dying without Jesus. They have no hope. And they're like, all right, well, we can go meet those needs. We can serve these people and give them Jesus. So they go over there, man, and it's hard. It's hard. They're there for seven years. And in those seven years, the few believers that they see, that they know that they partake of the Lord's Supper with, those believers from those, that people group, man, they're killed for the gospel. They're killed for the gospel. And, they, and while they're there, man, they lose one of their sons. One of their sons dies. And they come back after seven years, man, and they're just wrecked with this question of, and he's just being honest. He's just being honest with it. He's saying, man, what, what, what happened? What, what just happened? Why do we endure that? Why do we go through that? And like, is Jesus, is Jesus really worthy of this? Was he worthy of my friend's lives? Was he worthy of my son's life? Because he, he's, he, he's looking at the price of what it took to get the gospel to those people compared to what he's always known here in the comfort and freedom and safety of America. Is Jesus worth it? And so it sets him on this path. It sets this guy on this path. And he begins to go to these persecuted countries. Where, or these countries where if you're a Christian, you're going to be persecuted. It's, it's illegal to be a Christian there. And he begins to interview pastors. He begins to interview Christians who have suffered for the gospel. He wants to hear their stories. Hear how they endured. How they, how they went through these things not just like made it through, but did it joyfully, did it faithfully. So I'll tell you the one story. This guy, this pastor, he's interviewing a man. His name is Dmitri. Dmitri's in the former Soviet Union where you could go to a church, but it had to be a church run by the government. So they weren't free just to preach Jesus. There was a message that had to be approved by the government. And it was devoid of who Jesus really is and what it means to be saved. And so this man, though, he's got this young family and he's thinking, man, I'm not my kids aren't getting the gospel that I was given by my parents and my grandparents. And so he but he has a Bible. And so he starts doing this in his home. He begins to open the word of God, read it to his family, explain to him what it means. And then they would sing songs to Jesus, songs that he had learned from his great grandmother about who Jesus is. But they messed up. They messed up because they left the windows open. And people heard. His neighbors heard. 
But it's awesome because what happens is his neighbors are starving for the word of God because they're not getting it anywhere else. They don't take it for granted. They, they haven't heard it in so long. And so before long, his living room and his kitchen are overflowing with neighbors. There's people standing in the door and leaning into the windows to hear the word of God. So he just night after night, he's opening the word of God. He's reading to him the word of God, explaining what it means. And then they sing songs to Jesus and they take up any money that they can to give to those in need. And then they go out and live their lives and try to tell people about Jesus. They're just being Christians, right? Well, finally, the secret police do hear about it. And they start making threats. So saying, man, you, you can't do this. You can't have church. You can't teach the Bible. You can't preach Jesus. You can't go tell people about Jesus. You can't do this. But at this point, they're saying, man, we can't do anything else. <laughs> we can't do anything else. There's no other option. We're Christians. This is who we are. This is what we do. And so finally, they arrest Dimitri. And they take him a thousand miles from his home. They lock him up in a prison with 1,500 hardened criminals. And Dimitri, in a cell much smaller than this stage, he said it would take one step in any directions to meet a wall. For the next 17 years of his life. 17 years of his life. He wouldn't see or hear from his wife and his two boys. Wouldn't talk to anybody from his church. For 17 years, he would be physically beaten. For 17 years, they would come in and tell him that they had done awful things to his wife and to his children. And they said, all, all you have to do, listen to this. All you have to do is sign this piece of paper. Saying that you don't really believe in Jesus. Saying that you won't tell anybody else about Jesus. Just sign this piece of paper. And we'll let you go. Go home. Go be a husband. Go be a father. Raise your boys. This pastor is sitting across from this old man now. And he says, how did you do it? How did you do it? How did, how, did you, how did you endure the beatings from the guards and the other prisoners? He said, well, I had two habits. Two habits. He said, every morning when I'd wake up, just like my grandmother taught me, I would stand up and I would face east and I would raise my hands and I would sing the same heart song that she taught me to Jesus. I would sing this song of praise to Jesus every morning. And he said, and every morning, the other prisoners would make fun of me. They would throw their feces at me. As soon as they could get at me, they'd beat me. The guards would come in and beat me. But every morning I would stand up and I would worship Jesus because he's worthy. He said, the other thing I would do is anytime I find a scrap piece of paper and a pencil, then I would fill it. I would fill it with as much scripture as I could fit on there. I would write out the word of God and meditate on it. And then I'd take it and I'd put it up in a place of honor in my cell. Until the guards would see it and come in and beat him and take it. 17 years. 17 years. One night, the guards come in and they've beaten him. And they, uh, they tell him, they said, listen, your wife's gone. She died. Your wife's dead. And your boys, we don't know where they are. We don't know where they are. And Dimitri begins to break. 
begins to break and he feels the weight of his responsibility to his sons. And he begins to break and he says, I'll do it. I'll do it all. I'll sign whatever you want me to sign. I, I got to find my sons. And they say, all right, we'll be back in the morning. We'll prepare the paperwork. We'll, we'll be back in the morning and you could sign. And that night, Dimitri lays in his bed and he's praying to the Lord. He knows he's giving in. He knows he's not persevering. He knows he's not enduring. He's not being faithful to Jesus. And he's praying and praying. Well, a thousand miles away, his wife, who's very much alive, and his sons, are, who are very much home, and other members from that church that he started are meeting together because they feel compelled that night to spend the whole night praying. Praying that he would be faithful to the end. Praying that he'd be faithful in persecution. And Dimitri said, nothing like this has ever happened to me before, but God opened my ears. Man, and I heard the prayer of my wife. I heard my wife's voice praying for me. I heard my sons praying for me. So the next morning, the guards come in paper ready and Dimitri stands up and he squares up and he looks at him and he says I'm not signing anything you lied my wife's alive my kids are alive I'm not signing anything and man they're furious and they beat him and they're dragging him out they're dragging him out they're going to kill him they're taking him to the place of execution and they drag Dimitri out and as they do 1500 hardened criminals Stand, faced east, raise their arms, and sing. <laughs> sing to Jesus the same song they had heard for 17 years. And the guards, man, they freak out and they just drop them. And they say, man, who, who are you? And Demetri said he stood up and he said, he said, I'm a son of the living God. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Man, eventually, eventually they let this man go. He goes back to his family and he's sitting across from this pastor. I remember the pastor's question. Is Jesus worth the suffering? Right? Is he worth, is he worth the loss? And he sees the joy radiating from this man who has been beaten and tortured mentally and physically, separated from his family, wasn't there to raise his boys. And he doesn't, he doesn't even have to ask him. Yes, Jesus is worth it. Yes, Jesus is worth it. How did, how did he survive? How did he endure? How did he hold fast his confidence? How did he not lose his witness? Because he treasured Jesus above everything else. How did these believers in Hebrews, like how did these Christians who were being beaten, who, were, who had lost every physical possession, every worldly possession, every relationship outside of the church, how did they do that with joy? They did it this way. They treasured Jesus above everything. He said this, you yourselves knew you had a better possession and an abiding one. They treasured Jesus. They believed his promises that this life is a vapor. It's here for a second and it's gone. But what we have for all of eternity because of the work of Jesus, our great high priest, man, it's untouchable. 
Listen to what he says here. For you have need, verse 36, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. What's he saying? And how do they do this with joy? How do they do this with joy? Because here, here's our temptation, right? Right now, listen to me. Right now, we don't face persecution. We don't, we don't face imprisonment and torture for the name of Jesus. Here, here's here's a, what faces you and me. Comfort. Listen to me now. Comfort. Entertainment. Wealth. Acceptance. And here's the point. The point isn't that we should feel bad about having freedom and safety. We shouldn't feel bad about that. That's not the point. The point is, what are we doing with it? Because one of these old men that this pastor interviewed, at the end of the book he says this. He, he sticks his finger in his chest and he says, man, don't you ever. He says, we pray for you. It's crazy. And uh, all of his interviews of persecuted Christians... They never asked, listen to me, they never asked for the persecution to stop. They never prayed that the persecution would stop. They just prayed that they would be faithful in it. And he says, and we pray for you. The Western church, the free church, he says, we pray for you. He says, because don't you dare, don't give up in freedom. Do not give up in freedom. Do not give up in comfort. Do not give up in safety. What we have never given up in persecution. The point is, man, don't, don't feel bad that we live where we live. The point is, we need, to, we need to seize the day. We have safety. We have comfort right now. We have freedoms right now. But what are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? He says, don't lose your witness. Hold fast your confession. What does that mean? It means don't stop telling people about Jesus. How do, how do we honor our brothers and sisters? How do we, how do we honor Jesus? Just tell people about Jesus. Love Jesus. Meet together as a church. Love to hear his word. Be sustained by his word and then go out and tell people about Jesus. Just be a Christian. Just be a Christian. Because listen, Jesus is eternally worth it. He's so worth it. He's worthy of our lives. He's worthy of whatever sacrifice we may give in serving him. He's eternally worth it. So we have an abiding and a better possession. Because the reality is, man, we've got this short window of time. Listen to me. You've got this short window of time. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, you're going to spend forever with Jesus, worshiping Jesus. Man, where, where, where the Bible says, listen to this, from Revelation chapter 22. Listen to this. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kind of fruits yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. 
They, they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And earlier he says, listen, there's no more death, there's no more mourning, there's no more sickness. It's all gone. It's all gone. And we're together worshiping Jesus. He says, man, well, there's this tree with this fruit. Different fruit every month. And, and here's all I can think is nothing dies. Nothing dies. So what kind of fruit must this be in heaven? It's a steak tree. Because if cows don't die in heaven, the trees must bear ribeyes. <laughs> and you can pluck it at your desired medium, medium rare, rare, teach his own rare, yes. It's funny, right? Like we do that with heaven, don't we? We do that with heaven. I do it. I mean, I just did it right now. For a minute, I was really caught up in the moment of thinking I could pluck a ribeye off a tree. Wrapped in bacon. Because we do that with heaven because we're so, and, and this is me, so stay with me. We're so earthly minded. Our best thoughts about heaven are just like a better here. Man, but the, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is he's saying, hey, look to Jesus. Consider Jesus. He's so much better. What's awesome about heaven is not what kind of food we'll eat. What's awesome about heaven is Jesus is there. And we worship Jesus free from sin and death and decay. No more war. No more racism. No more hate. No more envy. No more pride. It's all gone. There's just Jesus shining in his glory. And we bask in it and worship him together as brothers and sisters. That's our hope. That's our hope. And that should change how we live here and now. Because there's people surrounding us in our schools, in our home, and in our workplace all over this globe who don't have that hope. Don't have that hope. They're going to die without it. And we have it to give it to them. So, in a minute, in just a minute, and we're going to have to walk fast because you guys listened a little slow. In just a minute... Uh, we're going to walk down, uh, you, the first part of the skit, you want to be around the corral. Okay. That arena down there where we had the redneck games, the first part of the skit be around there. Okay. And then y'all stay still. Just please, 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 please just listen. Okay. I promise there's enough time. We'll be around the arena. Um, for the second part of the skit, what'll happen is the actors are going to leave the arena and go out to the field. Please, before you move, give them time to get out to the field. And then you'll want to walk up to that creek side right there to watch the rest of the skit. And then when you hear Amy start playing the guitar, the real guitar, um, when you hear Amy start playing the guitar, come back up towards the sound booth. There's like a flat field right next to this big tarp. Come up there and we'll worship the Lord through song. Deal? All right, everyone walk fast. <laughs>